in my mind, an economy robust enough to deliver the type of earnings growth, uh, call it solid single digits, maybe even double digits in certain areas, earnings growth that's priced in and get six rate cuts. There, to me, it's, it's, an inconceivably, it's an inconceivable conundrum. You, you can't do both. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to this week's economic podcast from Interactive Brokers. Joining me, Andrew Wilkinson, to discuss U.S. economics uh, this week are Steve Sosnick. Hello. Joe Burke. Hello. And Jose Torres down in our West Palm Beach office. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Jose. Hey, how's it going? Good, 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 good. Let's um, let's we're going to start with the last week's payroll data. It's been a very ho hum start to trading. Equities really struggled to continue the strong year end rally. Bond yields rose, making them more appealing. But the big issue now seems to be less of whether there will be a recession for the U.S. economy, but more about the timing of a potential easing cycle from the Fed. Jose, let, let's start with your take on the December employment report. And just unpack it for us. Sure. So the headline number came in significantly above expectations at 216,000. Most of the job gains came from non-cyclical areas, education, health services, and government. The household survey also depicted significant weakness, a lot of part-time work going on, a lot of folks with multiple jobs. And that drove a 40,000 gain in the leisure and hospitality sector where a lot of the workers are part-time. But overall, when we look at the totality of the data, BLS jobs, ADP jobs, job openings, unemployment claims, we're still looking like we had a stronger labor market than the Fed would like. And overall, companies on the earnings calls, they don't wanna reduce their scales of operations. They wanna continue to earn returns, albeit with lighter margins. So. We're not looking like we're going to get a layoff cycle anytime this year. You know, Jose, one of the things that struck me on Friday was the was that the market reacted so strongly to the ISM data. I'd never really seen the ISM employment reports sort of supersede the payrolls data. What's your take on that? You know, Steve, on Friday, I called the yield retreat a head fake. I thought it was a ridiculous reaction by market participants because like I said earlier, the totality of the data still points to a labor market that's incredibly tight. And to your point, ISM services typically doesn't, isn't the main data point when examining labor markets overall. However, like you always say in your commentaries, market participants are addicted to liquidity. They're looking for any data point that fits the narrative of the Fed cutting in March, right? And on Friday, that data point was ISM services with employment coming in, you know, at 43, which is a significant contraction. And the contraction expansion thr threshold is at 50. New orders were still strong, telling the story that people are spending on services. Prices were still strong, came in around 56, right? So I, I know some folks checked in with ISM to see if that was an error or not. Here in this business, you know, we, we have a lot of data flying at us, you know, and overall, everything is showing that the labor market is still tight. The real-time indicators as well, like Indeed, job posting, stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, I, I unless we start to see 
the entire labor market, all the, the labor market data points show significant weakness. I think the ISM service is just a one-off. I think selective listening also comes into play in a situation like that. Well, Steve, employment's one thing, but the FOMC is really concerned more about inflation and specifically falling back to that sub 2% target. How has the stock market digested that apparent reduced potential for rate cuts in 2024? They're in denial about it. I mean, the Fed has the Fed has a dual mandate. And as you noted, it's 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 stable employment, full employment, stable employment, not inflationary employment and stable prices. We can argue that the full employment mandate, if not perfectly met, we're awfully we're close enough. I would say mission accomplished uh, on that one. So we're worried about prices and they're still not at the Fed's target level. But to me, what's what's become fascinating is the Fed at the last meeting acknowledged that they might pivot. The, the, the dot plot sort of is acknowledging three to four rate cut, three rate cuts as a median, potentially more, potentially less. The market, of course, was already at three to four before the Fed spoke and then said, we see your three to four, we raise you to six. We actually raise you above six. We've come back below that a little bit. To me, those are conflicting narratives. You, you, you can't have, in my mind, an economy robust enough to deliver the type of earnings growth, uh, call it solid single digits, maybe even double digits in certain areas, earnings growth that's priced in and get six rate cuts. It, there, to me, it's it's an inconceivably it's an inconceivable conundrum. How, you, you can't do both. So we have to figure out what it's going to be. We've started to back off some of the most aggressive rate cut expectations. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I, if I have to bet, I'd much rather I'd much rather see a a solid economy than feed investors rate height, rate cut addiction. But you know, let's see. I, I think I think overall, we should all be rooting for a better economy and rooting a little bit less uh, for aggressive rate cuts. So, so Joe, in terms of yield, at the end of last year, five percent across the screens, down all the way to what about three eighty five? Right. Unpack that for us. I would say there's a couple things going on. You know, obviously there was a, a enormous fear of missing out, as you as you mentioned. Um, at, towards the end of the year. The other thing is, uh, you know, we're, there's a lot of uncertainty about the economy. Now, to Jose's point about labor, that's fine. But you have bank earnings coming out this week. Um, there's going to be a lot of um, focus on, you know, what's going on with the consumer. Are the delinquency rates really rising? You know, we've seen, while well, we've also seen the um, rates go lower, we've seen the curve flatten. So we're about 20, 25 basis points flatter than we were uh, mid-December. So the rate cuts, uh, while they're still expected, it's only a 63% chance of a 25 basis point cut in March. Um, that's down significantly. Again, CPI, bank earnings, those are all going to play into the, into the focus. So that it's really un unclear in terms of the direction of interest rates at this point. It's a mismatch in timing between what the Fed's looking for and it's uh, in the SEP projections, projections that came out in December versus what the market's looking for. There's a whole one-year gap. That's correct. Absolutely. Steve, you could be watching financial earnings starting this week? Yes, but my specialty when we were making markets was I was the guy responsible for, for all the banks. It always bothered me that banks went first because I think that while banks can tell a broader economic narrative, and I think it's probably more important for Joe and Jose watching fixed income in the economy, I think actually bank earnings are a terrible harbinger of earnings season from a stock point of view because who else is that reliant upon interest rates? No one else is reliant upon trading profits. 
And the market also has a way of looking through trading profits, you know, or, or losses just in strange ways. So I, I think it's they're, they're sort of too idiosyncratic to tell us what to expect from earnings overall, but they're a good benchmark in terms of what the conference calls are telling us, what they're saying about their clients, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that falls more into the other guy's purview than mine, I would say. Jose, any particular sector you'll be watching as a harbinger of doom or better things? Right now, what I'm watching closely are dynamics near the Red Sea. We're seeing container ships from China to Europe and from China to the US trade shipments increase significantly. We saw the CPI trough at around 3% in the last few months. If we get goods reinflation, then that'll incrementally delay the Fed's cuts, you know, maybe back to May or even June for the first one. So that's what I'm really watching closely to see if this recent loosening in financial conditions starts to reignite inflationary pressures overall. The one thing both of you guys that I would love to find out about is with CPI and PPI coming out later this week, do you feel that that's going to change the story at all, um, whether whether in terms of bond prices or in the economic narrative? Uh, let me go with Joe, with Joe for bond prices. I definitely think it could. Um, the expectations for the CPI are actually higher than previous months. So you know, if it comes in a little bit hotter than expected, it could really change things. I'm not sure that a lower number is going to make much of a difference. Gotcha. Any any follow-up, Jose? Sure. I think the risks are skewed to the downside in terms of markets, higher yields and lower stocks, just because we, we saw the CPI coming at 3%. And now this week, I'm expecting it to come in at 3.3%. So if the market starts to see that medium-term inflation is going to get stuck at around three and a half percent. Then that could be problematic for asset prices. Uh, so last month, I oh, last week rather, I realized the one-month Treasury went up like 60 basis points at um, you know just out of nowhere and then quickly came down. And in the past, when I've seen those kinds of glitches, it kind of tells me that yields are going much higher. Also, following that glitch, we saw Lori Logan from the Dallas Fed talk about how, yeah, you know, we're thinking about starting to slow slow down our balance sheet runoff. So um, I'm, I'm following those things as well. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you. Did, did that really happen? It wasn't just a, a pricing glitch on the screens? I mean, there was a lot of year-end pressure um, that quickly, uh, you know, went away. But um, and because the turn, like, like, for example, the turn was trading with, you know, DS29 to Jan 2. Was trading at like five eighty five, mm. five ninety, and then ended up coming up, coming down at like five percent towards the end of the day. Right. So sure. I mean, it, it, the starch came out of that, that trade pretty quickly. Right. Oh. Yeah. To be precise, uh, yield of six point twelve percent on the one month. Which day Which was day? that? That was that was last week. I'll get back to you exactly on the day. Um, yeah, no, no, that's okay. No, I just wanted to see if that was before the end of the year or after. So it was, so it was last week, because that's the kind of stuff you expect to happen. You know, into year end, we get like just some some weirdness. That's oh. odd that it happened after the after the calendar. Yeah, I'll I'll take a look and see what I can find. I don't recall seeing that, so I completely missed that. You're probably not using interactive brokerage data. Um, that's the problem I, I, so 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 um i i noticed it on my side and then on twitter some of the bear uh you know like um twitter is like uh market bear land you know so i, I get excited there uh um they, they were all talking about it like oh are you sure it's a glitch or something else is going to happen so I'll, I'll i'll tell you guys which date it was um, okay. later in email when i um find out exactly Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Look out for more podcasts at ibkrpodcast.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating wherever you download your podcast from.
Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and its necessary seek professional advice.